what is the value proposition, I think is the fundamental question. And uh, in a modular project, you can save 40% on time and delivery. Who doesn't want to do that, especially time-restricted projects? Um, you know, back in school, one of the things that was uh, hammered into me was don't touch means and methods of construction. That's not your domain. Um, but that's exactly what this podcast is about. So I think this is a good time to move towards offsite when, when contracts are becoming more integrated and the responsibility is being shared among those, those project stakeholders. I do think in the future, this is a great area of uh, added services that designers, architects, and engineers can offer to projects and create value uh, by bringing those design for manufacture and assembly skills to the table. Uh, this is, has not traditionally been their forte, uh, but I believe that the entire construction industry is going to move in the direction of much more integration, not only in the processes and the delivery, but also in the products. And that requires embracing production methods. Hello. I'm Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this is The Constructor Podcast, episode number 37. Hello, and welcome to The Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it. This podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction project. We talk about fostering trusting relationships within your project teams, help you understand how to lower risk, be under budget and on schedule in your construction projects, and most importantly, exceed your end user's desires. My talk today is with Ryan Smith, author of Prefab Architecture, A Guide to Modular Design and Construction, and Offsite Architecture, Constructing the Future. He is also a professor at University of Utah in the College of Architecture and Planning. We talk about what off-site construction really is, and we talk about an implementation guide that addresses a plethora of concepts, and but we only discuss a few. We talk about procurement, design integration, contracts, and the skill gap between the trades, understanding how trades are actually utilized with prefab, modular, um, and then we discuss the value proposition of doing off-site construction. Who's the best suited to embark on doing off-site and what they need to be thinking about. Lastly, Ryan provides a lot of resources and a lot of links for you to learn more about off-site, but don't worry, they're, a, they're all in the show notes. So there's so much value packed in this interview Without further ado, here is my interview with Ryan Smith. Hello, Ryan. Welcome to the Constructor Podcast. We're happy to have you on today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So just to give a sense to the audience, you specialize in off-site construction. Uh, you've recently been senior editor of two books, Leading Collaborative Architectural Practice and Offsite Architecture Construction, or Constructing the Future, rather. And your research is largely focused on offsite construction implementation. And we're going to dig into that a little bit later on. But could you give us a sense of what is offsite construction? That's a good question. It's a term that comes from the UK primarily. In the US and North America, we probably would refer to it more as prefabrication. It's been known since the 1920s. It's manufacturing components, elements in a factory, and then tra transporting them to the job site to be assembled in a rapid manner. Um, and it can constitute a wide spectrum of products and processes. Ones that right, the listeners are more familiar with, precast is been done, has been done for um, decades, and it's very common. But there's some that are emerging that are less common, uh, but nonetheless hold great promise as well. Full volumetric modular is probably something the uh, listeners have been seeing in the news or in articles, and that's building buildings through uh, assembling uh, volumetric modules that are 3D boxes uh, built in a factory, finished up to 90% with uh, interior lining, exterior cladding, and then assembled on the job site. Uh, but other categories of off-site construction could include 
prefabricated mechanical racks for healthcare. It could include bathroom pods for dormitories and hospitality. Um, it can also include prefabricated enclosure panels for the exterior of the building where the window is preset in the wall in the factory and then assembled on site. So it's kind of the broad spectrum, but more than a product, it's a process. So the players have to reassemble or realign themselves in a way to deliver on this new process that's different than traditional piecemeal stick-built construction on site. That's kind of an overview of what it is. Yeah, that's really helpful. Uh, I And we can dig into this a little bit later, but we talk a lot about integrated project delivery, lean methodologies here, um, integrated design on this podcast, and you definitely have um, the expertise and have studied these particular items. So I do want to dig into that a little bit more later, but I want to know why have you taken this path, right? Yep. Why have you decided to to learn more about offsite construction and, and really dig into this and, and write about it and do research on that? That's, that's a great question. Um, I, I went to school at UC Berkeley in, uh, for graduate school in architecture. And just after uh, going to school there and learning some, from, from some incredible fac- faculty, had the opportunity wor- to work at uh, Bolin Siwinski Jackson, which is an architecture firm in the Bay Area that does really beautiful, designs really beautiful timber residences, um, mm-hmm. mostly for wealthy people, but in addition, they're otherwise known as being kind of lead on the flagship Apple stores that dot the, the globe. And at that time, we were working with quite a few engineers and manufacturers and fabricators. Uh, I'll point people's attention to the glass staircases, right, in the Apple stores. And those, <laughs> yes. uh, those are quite a technical feat. So I always had a fancy for kind of tech, technical aspects of of uh, design, and in particular, how design translates to construction. Um, And during those processes, uh, during that time at BCJ and working through those processes with the stakeholders, realizing that architects were important, but they were a very small and uh, uh, a small portion of what it actually means to deliver on a a building project. Um, Mm -hmm. And so uh, how do all these players come together to collaborate and deliver on this uh, what I started finding when I got into academia and teaching and researching is that the topic of off-site construction or prefabrication was very much synonymous with what I would describe as uh, integrated practice or integrated project delivery, collaborative practice, in that it requires a level of collaboration and early engagement of stakeholders in order to be successful. Um, and its potential, off-site construction, to leverage the enabling power of building information modeling mm-hmm. um, and integrated contracts is, is just huge, right? Uh, you can imagine the translation of design to fabrication and leveraging that, that modeling capability. So I was doing research right when I got into academia in 2003, 2004 on integrated project delivery. It, it was kind of the height of the theory, and now it's, there are many uh, projects that have implemented it. And actually, kind of stumbled across offsite construction, also from my experience from BCJ, and put that together, um, and started uh, consulting and researching on the topic. Um, and uh, uh, that was the first book, Prefab Architecture, published in 2011. That is really uh, a kind of a Bible. Um, Kieran Timber, Kieran Timberlake, James Timberlake, quoted as saying that it was the joy of cooking for uh, uh, for architects and, and builders. Uh, on the topic of prefabrication. And since then, <laughs> we've, we've come out with other uh, texts that have tried to clarify that initial theory um, as it's being practiced. So I'm really excited about this topic. I think it integrates well with lean uh, in so much as uh, lean delivery, right, is truly trying to leverage an integrated process. Um, mm-hmm. And what's ironic is that the factory environment um, whether it's producing cars or, in this case, producing full volumetric modules or other components for buildings, necessarily implements a lean manufacturing strategy, right? Um, And what lean construction has primarily focused on are job site productivity and efficiencies. 
Um, and I think maybe a missing piece in the conversation is asking the question, what could actually be taken off the job site? And not, uh, not just the lean construction principles, but the full, uh, the full suite of lean principles uh, applied to the construction or production, I should say, of buildings. Uh, because then you start thinking about buildings not being constructed, but being produced. And that's, a much, I think, a much more kind of sophisticated manufacturing approach to, to thinking about how buildings are completed. So that's, that's a little bit about how it's linked into uh, to lean construction. Um, and, of course, we, I think we're starting to see this happen and, uh, in practice, but I don't think the lean theorists have kind of connected um, lean construction with the principle of lean manufacturing vis-a-vis prefabrication. Yeah, just as you mentioned, in the UK, there is definitely the the mindset because of the governance, right? There is um, the past 1192 where they're recommending that you utilize BIM, and I think that that's pushing, uh, and BIM, BIM is not necessarily just 3D design, right, in, in the UK in the UK world, right? It's one of those things where it's, how do you share information more efficiently and get everybody integrated, like you said, within the entire process? And I really like the fact that you you talked about um, producing buildings, right? Producing instead of constructing, mm-hmm. um, because it's it's it kind of switches your mindset, right? It 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 gets you to start thinking, obviously more lean, like you know, like the Toyota way, if you will. Um, or, and I say the Toyota, Toyota way, it was the name of a book, but um, mm-hmm. obviously the manufacturing process um, that many things are produced within, right? Um, so it okay. leans it up, it gets everybody coordinating, it, it gets everybody seeing all of the information in one place um, with the utilization of BIM. Um, and it gets you to have that control level, um, by taking things literally off site and considering what items can, can be done right that way. Right. You know, in lean construction theory, I think it was, uh, Glenn Ballard who wrote a paper on the peculiar, what the question is, what type of, what type of production is construction? There's a great paper out there on that. You mm. might want to link people to. Yeah, um, I'll do that. Which is a very different kind of production, say, in producing, say, an iPhone or any other manufactured product. Um, and he outlines three peculiarities in construction that make it different than producing, say, an iPhone, which is mentioned. Number one, the, the location, the location in which it's produced, the building, is different every single time, right? The, yep. uh, the, uh, the scope, the, the program, the form, is different every single time. And the labor that produces that product is mutable and inconsistent every single time. So, you know, to think that we could somehow gain productivity and control in producing buildings in some ways is laughable given those three peculiarities (laughs) working against us. Uh, It goes against everything we know in the 20th century manufacturing mindset. It goes against everything the Toyota way would, would suggest. So uh, prefabrication, fundamentally, if we, you know, not even considering, say, core lean theory, just looking at prefabrication, let's look at the first one, location. Well, certainly the buildings are going to be set in a different location every single time, but the elements that go to, de- to produce that building certainly can be produced in a factory environment that is weather controlled. The sun always shines in the factory, as Ted Benson says, he's a manufacturer up in New Hampshire. Uh, you know, workers come to the to the factory. They know every day they're going to be working, and they're going to be working a consistent shift, and they have a predictable scope of work. Um, second item, which is the scope or the program or the form, is going to be different in the building. That's true, but that doesn't mean that the elements that go into it have to be different. In fact, uh, there's a great effort going on now that I'm part of to try and standardize some of the ele- prefabricated elements that go into buildings, much like the... Um, the automobile industry had to go through and other industries uh, to ensure compatibility. And then it becomes a game of connections, how things connect 
which is uh, which is how the IT industry has developed, right? It's all about how things join to one another. As simple as the outlet on your wall, for example. Um, yeah. And then the the third, which is labor mutable and inconsistent, it's not in the factory. That labor can be very consistent in the factory. Um, and we're not talking about unskilled labor. We're talking about skilled labor, and there are great efforts to um, manage uh, union factories now. So that that issue has fairly uh, gone gone away. So there's there's quite a bit of control that can be gained by these three peculiarities being overcome vis-a-vis um, uh, offsite construction. Mm, I love that. So let's let's dig into a little bit. We talked about why you decided to to start studying offsite. You saw the gains. You saw the opportunity to to dig into more than just design, right? To to understand how how you can like you mentioned and and did a great explanation of produce buildings, right? Um from a manufacturing perspective. Why what's the business case for off-site construction? Yeah. Why why is it important from maybe a, like a property owner's perspective? Why would they consider even going that route in the first place? Sure. Uh, so We've done quite a few studies. I run a research center that uh, supports the offsite sector uh, and folks like owners that are interested in learning more and trying to understand the value. What is the value proposition, I think, is the fundamental question. And uh, when we evaluated both uh, permanent modular construction, which is volumetric modular built to the standard IBC code, and we evaluated mass timber construction, which is CLT, that's um, proliferating in North America now. Um, what we found uh, is that in both cases, uh, the cost and schedule benefits were great. In addition, we saw a significant drop in change orders compared to uh, average projects. Um, quality assurance goes up. Uh, and so, you know, given the fact that, I'll just give a statistic, given the fact that on a permanent modular project, you can save 40% on time and delivery, who doesn't want to do that, especially time-restricted projects such as universities or, or uh, other um, functions that need to get up and running by a certain date or they really lose a whole year. Um, so these, these are some benefits that we have found, um, schedule being absolutely uh, in any study that you read has been evidenced as being a gain. Um, cost, we saw improvement, but... Uh, there's been other studies that have shown cost neutrality. Uh, there's been very few that have shown cost increase by using offsite construction. Um, you know, when you have an area of convergence, like let's say a bathroom or a kitchen or a mechanical room, where there are many trades that are all coming in trying to work in a small space, and in many ways you have to schedule them in a linear fashion, all of a sudden in the factory you can work on the outside of that bathroom, right? You can work on the outside wall. Yeah. And, and uh, while someone is, say, finishing tile on the inside and then ship that to site, that alleviates a huge headache. In addition, multiple bathrooms all being done at the same time, right, uh, in, a, in a line and one guy's operation or one uh, person's operation being repeated over and over again. There's just significant benefits to, to why one would do this. And we've see, seen even general contractors, this is a model using what's called multi-trade prefabrication. In that they're setting up warehouses or leasing warehouses near the job site. Near site fabrication is also what it's called. And they're pre-manufacturing components that they would usually install inside the building on, in situ. And now they're doing it in the factory because they can get the quality they want. They're not outsourcing that to, say, a manufacturer or a prefabricator. They're just pulling their trades inside the warehouse. Um, and finding great benefits, schedule benefits, doing that. So I don't think off-site construction is restricted only to procurement of, uh, say, a manufacturer pr- uh, producing and, and then you're purchasing. It's also I- including uh, general contractors that are finding great benefits in using these methods. Well, and you, you already mentioned that the the union concerns are, are largely going away. Um, so I... If we can dig into to that a little bit more, um, I'd like to. But let's let's hop into the offsite 
construction implementation guide that you're developing. Could you give us an idea about that? And we'll, we'll circle back around to, to labor and unions and kind of dig more into that uh, question. Sure. So I, in 2012-2013, around that time, I was doing research in this area and talking to a lot of folks in industry who were working in this area or who were, say, general contractors trying to procure uh, volumetric modules or mechanical racks. And they were finding that um, there wasn't much information about how to do this. So the how question came up. And <clears throat> so we started a, a group at the National Institute of Building Sciences Offsite Construction Council, uh, nibs.org, front slash OSCC the website landing page and started producing resources there are about 150 members of that council uh, that range from architects engineers contractors owners that all have an interest in off-site construction um, and I was the first chair and at that time we quickly started coming up with reference materials for um, for folks to go in and learn more some of it can be found on the whole building design guide, wbdg.org. Um, and then there's also case studies, you know, on the NIBS webpage. We produced a glossary and some other materials. And what we're finding is this is slowly building a quote-unquote implementation guide where people can learn how to do this. Um, we have conducted a, a four webinars to date. Um, you can go. They're free. They're located on the NIBS website that talk about different types of off-site construction and issues, such as transportation or regulatory issues. Um, and we're trying to build this up. And so anyone that's listening to the podcast that may have additional webinars that they could uh, offer, we welcome guest speakers and want to, to get more people sharing sharing their knowledge in this area. So that's, that's what the implementation guide is all about. That's wonderful. And I'll post all those links um, for you guys to be able to have easy access to the NIBS website and the WBDG. Um, also, the webinar is on the NIBS website. So that, I think, will be hugely valuable. Um, okay, that is amazing that, you know, there are 150 contributors, ultimately, to to this developing guide. Um, that means that it's certainly comprehensive and a lot of lessons learned are incorporated into that. Um, I do want to dig into a couple areas of the implementation guide that are likely important to an owner who is considering, okay, how do I do this, right? If, if they want to just know about the first couple of things of how do I even hire someone to, to do this? Um, my first question is around procurement, and I know you guys addressed that. So could we, could we talk a little bit about what's being recommended around procurement? Sure. Um, so there are a few models that are being used in off-site construction. Uh, one is the manufacturer acts as a subcontractor, and the general contractor hires them under their uh, general contract. Um, that's even if the scope of the manufacturer producing off-site is 90% of the scope, right? It's still a model that is being used. Uh, and that has some advantages, of course, because then the general contractor doesn't have to manage as many sub-trades. But it also has disadvantages in that uh, there is risk associated with having one manufacturer hold so much of that scope. Uh, and we have seen some failures in that particular area. Uh, However, uh, that can be managed. That can be managed through, uh, through insurance and bonding and, and other, other ways. In addition, not all manufacturers are created equal, and there needs to be a, a strong vetting process. It's not just lowest bid in this case is what I'm saying. And uh, one needs to shop and interview and visit and, uh, uh, to ensure that uh, that's, that manufacturer can deliver. There's also a model of uh, manufacturer larger manufacturers acting as the general contractor and taking on the entire contract. Um, they have that capability. There's another model, which is uh, something called a dealer, uh, say especially modular, where they deal and they have multiple manufacturers that produce, and they're kind of an integrator of, say, the modules on a project, if it's a hotel, for instance. 
And so that GC, uh, that sorry, that owner can go and and hire the manufacturer as GC, and they will kind of manage that 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 project. Um, so that's the, these are some models. And then we have some new ones coming on where a vertically integrated company uh, can, uh, you know, from the top to the bottom, be developer as well as uh, uh, have all of the uh, different stakeholders within uh, their their company, or at least own them for the project in, a, in an integrated contract. Um, and then I mentioned the large contractors, Turner, Whiting Turner, taking on multi-trade prefabrication, whereby they are actually having off-site units within their companies that uh, three or four people just manage the off-site uh, procurement methods, uh, whether that's hiring manufacturers as subcontractors or doing their own having their own in-house trades, work in a, in a warehouse near the job site, uh, a myriad of models. And you might have a large project like a large hospital that will have multiple uh, deliveries uh, being made from uh, different procurement methods. Um, so these are, uh, these are some of the, the, the things we've seen. As far as who's making decisions on whether they use off-site construction or the extent to which, we ran a survey with uh, the NIBS Council that I mentioned in 2014 that was published in 2015 and we found that owners and general contractors are having the most influence on whether off-site construction is happening or not. I was surprised uh, some you know coming from architecture I thought well certainly my discipline's the most important <laughs> and that's just not the case for this particular area. I, I hope that architects will take more ownership over uh, recommending uh, production methods to owners but that hasn't been our traditional role in the past. It's really interesting. Um, just in my experience talking with, you know, the Lean Construction Institute, and um, I, I find that they're also getting more um, support, if you will, or or the owners and general contractors are are choosing to to adopt that model as well. Mm -hmm. And I I don't know um, what it is about the design community. I'd like to actually tap into that, so that 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 piques some interest. I might, um, I, I might, I might scratch that itch a little bit, Ryan. <laughs> right, right, um, so, so, so back to all the different ways that you just described. You know, from from hiring the manufacturer direct, all the way to you know having the integrated model where the developers and the contractor and everyone's involved to having the GC, you know, have an offsite location. Um, I think, I think it's good to know that it's happening in so many different ways. Is there a, is there a method that seems to show the best result? Is there anything or, or multiple or is it, is it across the board pretty similar, pretty similar in the results? Right. Uh, I think the wide majority, well, let me back up and say this, as with anything in construction, it's contextually contingent or contextually dependent, right? So what, what is the scope? Where's the site? Uh, and and uh, what's the budget? And then that starts to frame how these projects come about, any project. Um, and yeah. I think, uh, but what we've seen the wide majority is, Manufacturer as subcontractor is probably the most common model. And then the second would be large contractors taking on um, multi-trade prefabrication. So those, those two models are probably the most, most common. Um, and that's probably because, though, uh, specifically in the manufacturer as subcontractor, uh, in larger multifamily dormitory and hospitality projects that have a great deal of repetition, um, the the model of manufacturer subcontractor tends to work well because they're delivering boxes to a job site and the GC's assembling them, right? Yeah. And so that that kind of model makes a lot of sense. Say you have a large hospital where there's quite a few more components and maybe the rooms cannot be boxed as much and you're maybe dealing with bathroom pods and mechanical racks and prefabricated mechanical rooms and the, the complexity of the project maybe is increased in that uh, hospital or healthcare project. Um, we see the large contractors taking on multi-trade, 
uh, as a common method. So I think it really depends on the scope and the, and the program of, of the, the project one's dealing with. Yeah, actually, that's really helpful to kind of segment what markets are are adapting the different methodologies. So that's that's really interesting. On, on the procurement question and how these models work, um, it really is, uh, I guess what I want to say is um, I'm not trying to sell off-site construction uh, and I don't get anything for promoting it, right? I'm a professor. So yes. by, by virtue of that, um, I don't think that offsite construction or certain types of offsite construction categories are appropriate for certain building types. One has to find the appropriate solution or the appropriate technology for the condition. That makes sense. Absolutely. And I, and I think it takes a, an owner who really understands their business, right? understands the repetition that's required in, in developing it, right? And it's understanding the different variables that that are needed to ultimately execute the product, right? The building. Um mm-hmm. and it's you're right, no not not just it's not a one size fits all sort of a scenario at all. You right. really do have to do some critical thinking and strategic planning. And that's one of the reasons why um, I have you on my podcast. I'd like to be able to share sort of that high level uh, approach so that, you know, if, if there's a need to dig in more and, and you know, it seems like a great idea to, to adopt, uh, adopt offsite construction um, and procure general contractors or the manufacturer general contract, however you, however you want to, um, however you want to procure it. I, I think it, it makes sense to just be exposed to it at this point. And um, you, you've given us a, a really good sense as to what the opportunities are. Yeah. Um, so design integration is the next topic that I wanted to dig into in relation to the implementation guide. We've had. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's an interesting one. Um design integration. It it sounds really good, but it's not happening very much. Design integration isn't happening with with offsite construction as much as it should. Um and I think that's had some negative impacts. We found that when the decision to go offsite significantly use offsite construction uh, is made from design development onwards in the phases of design and construction. From desi- later than design development, it has negative cost and schedule implications. Mm. So it's not something you just come along and say, yeah, let's do this. But it's a conscious effort and an integrated effort from the beginning. Um, I just had a call with someone earlier today who I'm consulting with, and he's a developer, and said, we have a project that's been designed. You know, we have a design team. And we're thinking to go modular on this. And I said, uh, uh, you know, does your design team have any experience in doing that? I said, no. Um, do you know if the design is at all amenable to modular? He says, I don't know. Um, and I said, I would, I would strongly advise against doing that uh, because it, has, uh, it will inevitably have a negative impact. And when it does have that negative impact, then... Uh, you're jaded by the method. You say, oh, it doesn't work, see? And you're not invested in it. And it gives negative press to this innovative method. Um, It would do that with any new method we might use in the construction sector. So we have to start early. And and the other thing I I often tell owners, we work with them, is that uh, when you move to offsite construction, it's a commitment. Uh, it's, It's a commitment like a marriage, right? You say, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be hard, and uh, we're going to work through it. But I'm committed to the idea because I think it's going to be better in the end than had I not uh, engaged with it. Um, And I don't know what that means as far as projects, but we have seen uh, um, a large portion of projects not perform to the desired outcomes on the first, second, and then usually on the third, they do really well. So uh, that's not to say you can't win on the first project. But it's just to say that one has to be committed uh, to this particular method. 
Um, one of the ways I think to find more success in these projects and overcome these challenges is uh, architects doing research and becoming deeply engaged in understanding design for manufacture and assembly. It's actually a whole discipline, DFMA, Design for Manufacture and Assembly. It comes out of the manufacturing sector, which is when one is designing for how something is assembled and then how something is transported and then how something is put together on a job site. That's a very different design process than only considering spatial qualities and code restrictions and things like that. Um, and at first, architects and engineers might say, I don't get paid to do that, right? That's not what I'm hired to do. Uh, so the scope of services changes, but that's not any different than an integrated project delivery, which the scope of services is changing. So I think this is a good time to move towards offsite when, when contracts are becoming more integrated and the responsibilities being shared among those, those project stakeholders. And then you have the manufacturer who, who has great knowledge in uh, design for manufacture at the table, uh, working with the design team. So much in the way that we use integrated project delivery and the stakeholders come together at the beginning in an off-site project, there's a great opportunity to have the modular manufacturer or what other, whatever other element is being manufactured present at the table uh, in order to aid with design for manufacture capability. Um, but I do think in the future, this is a great area of uh, added services that designers, architects, and engineers can offer to projects and create value uh, by bringing those design for manufacture and assembly skills to the table. Uh, this is, has not traditionally been their forte, uh, but I believe that the entire construction industry is going to move in the direction of much more integration, not only in the processes and the delivery, but also in the products. And that requires um, embracing production methods. Um, you know, back in school, uh, when I went to architecture school, the, one of the things that was uh, hammered into me was don't touch means and methods of construction. That's not your domain. Um, but that's exactly what this podcast is about, right? Mm -hmm. It's about embracing that. Um, and if designers don't, then I think someone else will step in, in and take that role. And I'm, I hate to say that because it's my discipline, but I think architects and engineers need to embrace uh, the way in which things are produced in order to, uh, to deliver value to, uh, to the building industry. Yeah, and it, it, what it does, it, it combines your design with product management, ultimately. Um, we look uh, like what I do in my role in uh, my day job um, is project management, you know, third-party project management. And I think, um, you know, a, a lot of that, yeah, again, you're not supposed to touch means and methods. It's, it's up to the general contractor. But it's, it's, it's up to someone like me to kind of push the you know, questions and ask them. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a challenge to get that conversation going in the first place because of that hesitancy from the design side. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So yeah, that's, that's really, really intriguing. So if we could just talk a little bit about labor, um, utilization of, of trades and the general contracting setup. Um, I'd like to dig into that a little bit more. Sure. Um, you know, labor is interesting. Uh, I mentioned it before earlier in the podcast about labor unions, and fortunately, uh, that much of that has been solved. When offsite was starting to make a headway again in the mid two thousands, we saw a lot of labor unions um, uh, balking, of course, because uh, they felt that that challenged uh, uh, their work. And what we've seen is a lot of negotiating occur, and um, many of the factories are, are union shops now, and that has largely solved that problem. And I think we'll see that continue to happen. Uh, we have seen a large gap between coming out of the reception, the construction volume continues to increase, whereas uh, while the labor that's available to meet that demand is just, it's just not there. And that's from the top to the bottom. Um, and I don't, you know, in order to deal with that labor gap, 
I think more and more projects are going to offsite methods because it's a more efficient way to manage labor on uh, projects. Uh, and because of the recent uptick we've seen in offsite construction, I can't help but think that there's a strong correlation between uh, labor shortage and uh, increased use of offsite methods. Um, so, but the skills are significantly different. Uh, and so we're seeing people be much more versatile. Um, we see uh, necessarily, even in non-integrated contracts, um, right, manufacturers and designers working together to try to solve problems uh, as we use more offsite methods. Um, so I, I think we'll see more and more of that happening. Um, and the skills and knowledge needed to deliver on offsite projects uh, being taken up, but not, not just by designers, as I mentioned previously, with design for manufacturing assembly, but probably all the trades and GCs and, and owners um, to try to, to deliver on, on the promise of offsite. But there are some there are some specific there are some specific skills that are different uh, and things that are different. If, um, I don't know if you want to you know we want to talk about those. Uh, yeah, let's talk about yeah. it. I I do want to just mention uh, for those of you who haven't listened to my interview with Anirban Basu, economist. He specifically addresses skill and the labor shortage and and the fact that they're needs to be this level of, it's a different skill set, right? Just as you, and I'm happy that you're going to give us a little bit more detail on that. Um, It's still, it's still skilled labor. Yeah. But there is, there is a different uh, mindset towards approaching the work. So yeah, please, please dig into that. And I'll put the the link for Anirban's interview so that we can provide a little context from the economist point of view. Uh, And I would just also mention that because the UK is uh, some 10 years ahead of us in this particular area of offsite, they have uh, a whole host of uh, skills building um, resources that are available out there. And I think we, we will see that start, start to occur in North America as well as more and more people share. But particular to what knowledge, additional knowledge is needed, um, uh, you know, producing a building, as we mentioned before, is very different than constructing a building. And that includes uh, thinking about uh, the context in which one is building, but also all the different stakeholders and processes that are necessary in order to produce that efficiency. So putting in, say, a lot of effort up front may not seem intuitively good, but if it's going to save a lot of labor at the back end, that whole process is much more efficient and, and the control is much greater. Uh, so on off-site projects, the flow of capital tends to be different in that there's a lot of upfront and up, uh, upfront investment that has to occur. So if owners are not familiar with financing offsite projects, they might be surprised in the capital required to get a factory up and started on, uh, on your project. Um, and the draws on the financing uh, can be uh, considerably different. Uh, and you, you may not see the benefits of that until later in the project when those boxes or elements become start becoming more much more mass produced so that's that's a very different uh, kind of flow the other is um, uh, skills are, are somewhat different manufacturers are also going to have to get up to speed and um, owners and gcs need to demand that from the manufacturers that they be transparent with their pricing uh, because right now a lot of them are giving lump sum bids and it's very difficult for a gc to manage budget that way uh, without really knowing how it's broken down, so oh, wow. uh, we we're we're working with uh, we've been working with some companies on that, and um, manufacturers of modules are starting to be uh, in other elements much more sophisticated in their and conversant in traditional construction language, um, and that will only help the adoption of of these methods. I think uh, the the other thing that's different is the regulatory process is different and uh, the skills around that. And that can be a barrier because, you know, each project is subject to the local municipality or the authority having jurisdiction in that area. Um, and say you have a project that does has a, have a closed wall assembly or a complete module. Well, uh, and that factory is located in New Jersey and the project is in Massachusetts. You now have uh, an issue with uh, 
the site inspector or the authority having jurisdiction wanting um, a third-party inspector to come to the factory and inspect that product before it goes to the job site, specifically because your rough-ins might be enclosed in a wall, right, uh, or other. And so the inspection process becomes a little different, uh, a bit more involved, a lot more communication among the players um, and, the and the stakeholders. And uh, that barrier alone has, has dissuaded some from embracing, embracing these methods. And uh, we all know that sometimes the, the greatest barrier in, in a project can be uh, the regulatory authorities. <laughs> and, yeah, that's just that very true. <laughs> yeah, it can be a real challenge, even though they're, they're, they're trying to protect the public interest. That's, that's their goal. So that can be different, although uh, we're seeing many more municipalities become facile in this particular area. Most have some kind of offsite program within their within their uh, municipality, unless um, they're rural and don't have a lot of development, then it can become challenging. But uh, these are some different things. And then warranties aren't entirely different, except you're warranting, uh, uh, say, a factory is warranting a lot more than you would get from a traditional manufacturer, say, if they're just producing a, a condenser unit or, uh, you know, a boiler or something like that, which it has its own warranty. Now you're you're not only looking for the product warranties, but also the installation warranties, and um, being dependent on one manufacturer for all of that uh, can be risky. Um, but that risk can be managed, as I've said before, through uh, um, through working with the manufacturer and having contracts that can alleviate some of that risk and, and share it among among project stakeholders. I think that provides a lot of context around uh, what what the challenges are um, in, in in adapting offsite construction. Um, just the regulatory con concern alone, <laughs> um, doing development of of the modules outside of one one specific jurisdiction. That's that's definitely a concern. And sure. even from the the owner stakeholder perspective, you know, how do they know that the production is on time? How how can they see it, right? Because a lot of times they want to do walkthrough, you know, understand how mm -hmm. they're moving through the space, and that's something that you just cannot do <laughs> um, when you're building off site. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's true, um, and so the manufacturing mindset not only translates to the project stakeholders and hopefully does right but also um, stakeholders of the uh, authority having jurisdiction which is a significant um, mindset that, has, that needs to be adapted but we saw that we've seen that with any technology so if you're using any new product even if it's not manufactured off-site one should definitely right talk to the authority having jurisdiction and ensure that they understand what you're trying to accomplish and and that there are no hiccups, and that if there's testing that's needed, that's understood up front, um, so that the project doesn't get unnecessarily delayed. Yeah, it's it's certainly a different way of thinking, and I <laughs> I'm really glad that you've provided us with context on specifically procurement design integration, trade labor, and and the skill gap, and those are just a few topics that are included in the implementation guide. I, I'm definitely going to put the links in for the audience to, to dig more into different aspects of, of what's listed here. But I, I do want to ask the question around mindset. We talk a lot about mindset on this podcast, um, and you've touched on it in a number of ways already. But how would you say the owner or the developer or even the general contractor at this point how what or and and obviously the designer i mean you definitely come from the design side and and we do want to speak to that what is the mindset that someone should come to approach an offsite construction project with um yeah let's go over a few of them i think that would be pertinent and easily implementable uh, we've talked a lot on this podcast about integrated practice and integrated delivery so one should engage ideally in some form of design build or integrated project delivery model in order to in order to uh, uh, deliver on, on the on the promises but 
outside of the actual legalese, one should think about how to collaborate with stakeholders in order to deliver, deliver on, the, on the, the project. So I think the mindset is much more collaborative in that way. Uh, and think about engagement in a design process that solves the problem um, and as opposed to design and throw it over the fence to the next person. Um, another one is appropriate technology. We've learned this from Sweden, actually. Clay Clayton Christensen in business has this theory of disruptive technology or disruptive innovation. And um, with offsite, I don't think we're talking about that. I don't think we're talking about coming in and disrupting the, the construction industry um, full scope. There's some companies who say they want to do that. Uh, you know, the Elon Musking of the construction industry, right? Um, but it's going to require significant capital for any one company to actually achieve that. And I just don't see it happening anytime soon. So I argue for using offsite products and processes that are appropriate to the situation you're in. So that kind of mindset of one needs to be innovative, but one definitely doesn't need to think they have to disrupt the entire sector. Uh, the mindset can be focused on, okay, what's appropriate for the situation uh, that will meet uh, the, the needs and is an, is an appropriate technology for the context? Is it appropriate for the time in which we're making this decision? And is it appropriate for the skill set of the stakeholders we have at the table? So uh, I go back to the very contextually contingent decisions around offsite. Another mindset is that as we're investing and moving towards offsite construction, implementing it, it's a long-term investment. I'm not here to just try it on one project. I'm, I'm here to try to uh, try it long term uh, and uh, implement it, um, and it's with that mindset. So any decision, oh, I'm going to build this BIM object. We're going to invest in uh, parameters in a BIM model. I'm going to develop these relationships with these people. I'm going to figure out the procurement methods and the financing methods, and I'm going to learn how to deal with the regulatory co uh, context. Those are all things that are seen as investments for uh, for future implementation. So you may not see the results in that project proper, but you will see it in the future. That's a different kind of mindset. Um, and then I mentioned before design for manufacture and assembly, DFMA, which is a very different kind of mindset that we've talked a lot about, production-type mindset. I think those are the, the major ones. Yeah, I think that, that gives us a, a real clear amount of work that you kind of have to do, ultimately with training or, or, or setting a, a development, like mindset development expectation, you know, around those particular topics, right? Um, it's, uh, it's quite involved, in, and I think it's, you can focus your energies on, yes, absolutely, learning, and, but it's, it's also working with the right people who also have that similar mindset and making sure that, you know, you've identified who they are. You know, ha make sure that everybody's buying in. Ultimately, that's what it that's what it sounds like. Well, I think that's truly helpful. And I, I always like to give the listeners an actionable item. Um, what do you think that they should do right now if they're interested in this model? You know, what what would you suggest that they do just to kind of start digging and um, who should they start speaking with and things of that nature? If you're interested in, you know, just putting your foot in the water and learning before you take action, right? I think there are some good resources available. I mentioned before on the National Institute of Building Sciences Offsite Construction Council website and the nibs.org from slash OSCC. Also, uh, there's an institute called the Modular Building Institute if you're interested in volumetric construction. And they are the trade association for that. Uh, Modular.org is their website. Easy to remember. Uh, there's a myriad of resources there, publications for myself and others on their resource page. Um, of course, I always put in a plug for my book, right? <laughs> and books. And, uh, Feel free. Yeah, Prefab Architecture and Offsite Architecture. Those are the two books available on Amazon. It will give you a good, uh, good understanding. Um, further to that, if you're starting to think about, uh, you know, who are some people doing this and what are they doing uh, outside of, of resources but looking at case studies. There's some really interesting companies, I think, to pay attention to. Uh, 
Uh, one is Urban One Builders up in Vancouver. Uh, they're a general contractor, and they really get it. Their projects uh, are just a, a, I mean, they just finished a 17-story dormitory that had a com- combination of mass timber, uh, prefabricated enclosure panels, and other, f- I mean, the entire thing was prefabricated and, and orchestrated through BIM and integrated project delivery in a really beautiful way. Uh, they have case studies available, and, but I would, I would pay attention to them. Uh, the other is a developer, uh, architect developer, general contractor company uh, called Gluck Plus. Uh, Gluck Plus is out of New York City. Peter Gluck is a, a partner, if people know his name. Um, he's done a, uh, three or four projects using off-site construction for, uh, you know, from the advantage of the developer and the general contractor. and They, they find great control, cost control, and schedule control by, by using it. Um, some others I think to pay attention to is Marriott Hotels effort right now. Uh, they partner with Gurdon, uh, Gurdon Modular out of uh, Boise, Boise, Idaho. And uh, this year, it's just announced Marriott will take 15% of their uh, mid-rise wood um, hotel product to uh, this method of offsite modular. Um, so it's quite significant. Uh, Citizen M Hotels is also developing now in the U.S., and those modules are coming from Poland. Um, so that's, I think, paying attention to that would be interesting. Uh, there's two companies that are claiming vertical integration, although I don't think it has borne out yet, uh, primarily for the housing industry. And one is Katera out of Phoenix, uh, and the other is Blueprint Robot- Robotics in Maryland. And they are claiming to disrupt the industry, although we'll, we'll, we'll see because there's been other companies that have claimed that as well. Uh, but they have significant investment, and I think it'd be good to pay attention to what, what they're doing. Um, so th- those are some companies to pay attention to. And then lastly, I think if you're interested in doing this, if you're an owner or you're a GC or you're an architect trying to design for a project like this, I think something, you know, projects to cut your teeth on would be multifamily housing, dormitories, hospitality, um, in in if it's healthcare, you know, bathroom pods, mechanical racks. So start small, uh, test it, and then go from there. Going full, full-fledged oftentimes can just be too much risk. Um, and we've seen greater success in, in dabbling in it, finding benefits in it, and then upscaling from there. I I'm really excited about all the companies that you recommended and I started looking up some <laughs> I, I couldn't hold myself back um, so hopefully the audience is feeling similar um, and I'm I'm glad that you've given some some clear examples of people that we can follow um, in addition to you know the the right types of uh, companies or markets that that may f- be um, most capable of uh, maybe starting to do this right now. So um, that's hugely, hugely helpful. Ryan, I want to thank you for <laughs> for taking your time out and um, sharing with us today. Uh, I want to give you the opportunity to tell us where people can find out more about you. Tell us how people can contact you. Sure. Uh, my website is ITAC, ITAC is the center. I work at itac.utah.edu is the URL. Um, you can also just Google my name, Ryan E. Smith. There's so many Ryan Smiths. E is my author name. Uh, Ryan E. Smith, uh, University of Utah. And, and uh, you'll see a bio come up and there's links to uh, websites and, and publications. Wonderful. Uh, well, thanks again. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as I did. So last week we talked about the value proposition of doing lean construction or integrated delivery. Ryan has bridged the gap for us, in the U.S. at least, as we start to look at off-site construction and how modular integrates with the lean production model. This path includes more and more collaborative delivery models. I'm also looking for ways you can start acting right now and implement what you've learned right away for the industry to be ultimately elevated. If you have any questions, please email me at Brittany at constructor.com. I want to know how this podcast has helped you. Even if you haven't implemented anything yet, I just want, and you just want to learn more, just still email me 
Again, that's Brittany, B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-E, at constructrr.com. Next week, we'll be talking with Jeff Saunders, director at Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, and we'll be digging into the future of the workplace and what we should prepare for and how. We talk about how to integrate internal organization teams in order to make the best plan and decisions about how to approach next steps within business based upon megatrends that are coming, like megatrends that we have no control over. So I look forward to sharing that episode with you guys next week. Don't forget to subscribe at constructor.com to get email updates from me. If you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, you can do so at iTunes and Stitcher. Please leave a review to show your support and let me know you're enjoying the podcast. I look forward to talking with you guys next week.